Today we're going to go over that hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and just look at the depth of the theology in it. But uh, first, let me read to you what the angels sang. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read the passage? Luke chapter 2, 9 through 14. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just praise you and thank you for this miracle of miracles that you would enter into your creation to redeem us, to bring us back to yourself, to restore the relationship with you. So Lord, help us to get a, a deeper grasp of what that means and how blessed we are that you would choose to do this out of love for us. So open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds this morning to hear and receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So what, a, what an incredible experience that must have been to be those shepherds in that field. I've, uh, some of us have been to Jerusalem and gone to the shepherds' caves and kind of tried to imagine what it was like to be there watching the sheep at night. You know, they had actually that field is where they raised the sacrificial lambs. We know that from Jewish writings. The Mishnah tells us that that particular field was where they watched the lambs that were going to be raised for sacrifice. And so those are probably priests. They're priestly shepherds, and they're caring for those sheep that will one day be used in the temple. And they're you know, watching for wolves or, or thieves to come. They're making sure the sheep are okay. They probably rotated in shifts throughout the night. Um, and suddenly, this incredible thing happens. And it's as if the curtain separating heaven from earth just opened up and the shepherds were enabled to see the praise of heaven. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, the passage says. In other words, this holy light illuminated the field and the sheep, the shepherd's cave. Glory is, is a hard word to define, but in scripture we see it's kind of, it's a light and it carries with it this profound sense of the presence of holiness. Now, the, that angel that appeared to them at first was no little baby cherub that we see pictures of or no lovely lady with flowing hair. In, as in all cases in scripture, it was this supernatural angel warrior aglow with the presence of God. And so no wonder the shepherds were filled with fear like everybody that sees these angels. 
and they're never going to forget this message that they heard or the family that they found in the manger. The songwriter takes Luke's expression that the angels that joined that one angel were praising God. And he attempts to guess the words. You know, a lot of times scripture just abbreviates what, what, uh, what took place. We don't have the whole song that they sung or how they, the fullness of their praise. So he went to scripture and, and kind of uh, made some suggestions of what they might have sang. And he starts the title of it, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. He's telling us, listen to their song of praise that's coming from angel means messenger of God. Listen to the song that these messengers are singing. And he changes glory to God in the highest to glory to the newborn king. And the reason he could call Jesus a king is from the fact that he's fulfilling the prophecy given to Micah. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that says the Ancient of Days is going to be born in Bethlehem. And Gabriel told Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Glory be to him. It means that we should honor him, that we should worship him. It had been 400 years since the last prophet, Malachi, and 400 years since a son of David sat on the throne in Jerusalem. And finally, he had come, destined to reign in the hearts of men. The next line says, peace on earth and mercy mild. He is God's offering of peace. He's mild mercy of God for all who receive him. Mankind longs for peace, not, not just the absence of conflict, but peace in our hearts, knowing that we are right with our maker, that we will not be condemned when he comes to judge the earth. It's a mild mercy for he doesn't force it on anyone. He just holds it out there for all who will come and take it. In fact, in John 14, 27, Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Do you have peace in your heart? Have you received him as your merciful king? And that leads us to the next line, God and sinners reconciled. This is how that peace comes to us. Jesus was born to offer himself on our behalf. We were born separated from God and Jesus came to reconcile us by taking the punishment that we deserved. You may have had the, had the joy of being reconciled to a family member that you were at odds with. And what a special thing that is when, when forgiveness erases past wrongs and, and the resulting pain. We were at odds with God trying to be our own God, living in rebellion toward what we instinctively knew God desired. And Jesus was born to reconcile us to God. He came to take the justice that our rebellion deserved. What a joyful line, God and sinners reconciled. The burden of guilt lifted from our shoulders. 
Next line is joyful, all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. The song the angels sing was for the whole earth, for the angel declares good news of great joy that will be for all the people. It was joy to the world. The writer calls to all nations to stand and sing with the angels. In a way, it's fulfilled this very day. For around the globe, in every nation, there are those this day who rise to sing of Jesus' birth and the reconciliation with God, which God has brought us in Jesus. I was thinking this morning, you know, the international dateline is out there in the Pacific Ocean. So the day began with South Korea, Japan, the Philippines singing the songs we just sang. And, and then it goes a little further, right? And we get to China and, in, well, not yet. Australia, what about Australia? What about Mongolia? And all the Christians there are singing these hymns. And as the world turns, as we go all the way around the world, now it's finally come to us. So from the heavenly perspective, God's been listening to praises of his birth for, uh, what, how many hours now? <laughs> Oh, what an awesome thought. Join the triumph of the skies is asking all nations to sing with those angels about the victory that this babe is going to bring to the world. It's a triumph over death and hell and the grave. It's a triumph over our sin-sick souls. And could there be a greater victory? With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. So all nations stand up and sing with the angels that the promised Messiah has been born here where the prophet Micah predicted. That little town of Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem means Beit Lahem, it means house of bread. No wonder Jesus said he's the bread of life. And now Wesley adds more reasons to praise him with the angels. Hail the heaven born Prince of Peace. That's Old English, which means to enthusiastically proclaim the babe is from heaven. In other words, he was conceived divinely. And when the angel told Mary that she would give birth to the Savior, she, she says, how, as I've never known a man. And the angel told her she would conceive by the Holy Spirit. It's the same as saying heaven born. Prince of Peace is his title that comes from Isaiah chapter 6. Because 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah predicted that God would send his son into the world and that he would be called Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. So why would he be called this? Well, as we saw earlier, he reconciles to God, which means he makes peace between us and God. And that gives us peace in our hearts. One day he will bring peace to the earth and to his own he will give his eternal peace. You know, I don't know if you've seen the, the movie about what took place in World War I. Not only does he give us peace in our hearts with God, but sometimes this peace just erupts between people who are at war with each other. One, one night, it had been about three months into World War I, the, the British, the Belgium, and the French were dug in on one side and the Germans on the other side, and in between was no man's land. 
filled with dead bodies. And on Christmas Eve, the Brits began to sing carols, Silent Night. And then the Germans sang it in German. And then the Brits sang another hymn, and the Germans sang another hymn. And pretty soon, a 100,000 soldiers put down their weapons and met in that middle of no man's land. They traded gifts, they sang carols, they beat around a soccer ball, and then they went back to their lines. Some of them didn't fight again until New Year's. Amazing peace that God can bring to people who look to him. Hail the son of righteousness. This title comes from the Old Testament, son, S-U-N. He predicted, the prophet predicted, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from a stall. Jesus brings the greatest healing of all, healing of our sin-sick souls. The unloading of our burden of sin causes us to leap like calves from a stall. I don't know if you've ever seen calves that are, they're penned up in the winter and then as the weather warms up a little, the farmer will open the gate and the little calves will run up and kick their hind feet up in the air as they jump around. Uh, all that penned up energy is being released in this joyful, exuberant dance. And I hope that's how you feel because the son of righteousness has healed your soul. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Light and life to all. It's from Isaiah 49, verse 6. The Lord says, it's, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. The Messiah came not just for Israel, but to bring the light to the entire world. That's why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The song declares that he fulfilled this passage. He came to illuminate this dark world. Isaiah saw this future day coming. He said in Isaiah 61 and 2, Arise and shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Mild he lays his glory by. Philippians chapter two tells us that Jesus emptied himself to become a man. He set aside his glory, that glory we see described in Revelations chapter one that just uh, put John on his face that outward glow that's a manifestation of the glory, the glow that came from those angels as they sing, Jesus laid it aside to come mildly into our world. Can you imagine if he came in his glory, you know, as a little baby, he's laying there in the manger glowing. <laughs> we wouldn't think of him as a human, right? We'd think some alien landed or something. We had to understand, as Dan explained, uh, that he was fully God and fully man. So he laid his glory aside, that glory that exuded from him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the disciples said, he's shining like the sun. 
if he came without glory, we, we would have a hard time relating to him. So he set it aside. Born that man no more may die. Why would he lay his glory aside and enter his creation? As so that we might not die the second death. He came to give us everlasting light, which is life, which is more than breathing. It's more than your heart beating. It's the ever abiding spirit of God within us. He took the curse of sin, which is death, so that we might be found righteous before God. Born to raise the sons of earth, he laid his glory aside and became a human to show us how to live, which in turn raised us to a higher quality of living. The world completely changed since the time of Christ. Uh, James Kennedy wrote a book, What If Christ Never Came, and talks about all the changes that took place in the world because Jesus came into the, into the world. The way that we live is so different than before Christ. There are there's other books written about the great differences that took place in humanity since Christ was raised. He's going to return when he comes back with our spirits, because when we die, our spirit goes to be with him. And when he brings those spirits back with him, our bodies will be raised from, from the sons of earth. In other words, from dust we came to dust return, but God's going to rearrange those atoms in a way that's fit for heaven, eternal bodies, and raise us physically. Born to give them second birth, he also laid his glory aside so that we could be born again, or as Jesus put it, to be born from above. That is the new nature within us, the Holy Spirit in our spirit, who has different desires than we had before. It's that death knell to our old fallen nature. It's new life within us, that everlasting life that's filled with joy and peace. And that's why we should hearken to the song that the angels herald and glorify the newborn king. The next verse says, Come, desire of nations, come. How the godly in the earth had longed for the coming of the Messiah. We read about those two in the temple that were just waiting for the consolation of Israel to come. The depravity of man causes such distress. Death separates us from those we love. Wars bring suffering and loss. Greed wreaks havoc on the poor. And justice just seems to never end. The prophet's prediction of this coming prince of peace seemed to just be a dream of something too good to hope for. And then 400 years without the voice of a prophet, and finally John the Baptist's voice came, prepare the way of the Lord. Fix in us thy humble home. He came to make his home in you and me. John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one God, takes up his residence in the humble home of our hearts. What a descent. From the throne of heaven to these humble 
temporal bodies that house our spirits. The desire of nations is alive and at work within us. His home is in us and our eternal home is in him. Rise the woman's conquering seed. So now Charles turns to the first promise of Jesus being sent into the world for those who would put their faith in him to have the curse canceled. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, predicting that a male child referred to as the seed that would come from Eve's lineage would crush the deceiving serpent's head, but his, his head would be, his heel would be wounded in the process. And a careful reading of scripture shows this theme of the seed run all throughout the scripture until the coming of Jesus. We can see the line because the promise God spoke to those uh, patriarchs. Abraham was told his seed would bless the, the world. And the promise was repeated to Isaac and Jacob. Jake was, Jacob was, or Judah was told his seed would have the scepter and to him the people would render obedience. King David, on these, this, we're following the lineage from one family to the next to the next, down the line of descendants that go all the way down to, to Jesus. David was told his seed would reign forever. And that's why we see the lineage of Jesus in the gospels, because they bring us back all the way through that line of the seed. The, the rest of the promise of his coming is stated in the next verse of the hymn, bruise in us the serpent's head. Jesus crushed the authority of Satan on the cross, but he was mortally wounded in the process, just as Genesis 3.15 predicted. But notice that Charles writes, bruise in us the serpent's head. The power of Christ in us can break the authority of Satan over our sinful lives. He's asking the seed of the woman, Jesus, to free us from the power of sin, to end Satan's authority over our lives. We replace that evil authority with the authority of Christ, who is our life. Now display thy saving power. Christ has been born and lived the perfect life and died for our sin and rose victorious. This verse asks for that saving power merited for us on the cross to be displayed in our lives. In other words, he's asking for the power of Jesus to make us holy, that that power be demonstrated in us. It's Christ who works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. The work of God's grace in us helps us to be living sacrifices, joyfully and willingly giving our lives in service to the King. It's all by his grace. We simply look to him, gratefully give ourselves in his service, and waiting for his direction and power to do his will instead of our own. Ruined nature now restore. You see, when Adam sinned, his godly nature was ruined. We inherited that ruined nature from Adam. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The nature in which God created Adam and Eve was declared by God to be very good. Our ruined nature can only be restored to what was very good 
by rebirth in Christ. Now in mystic join thine to ours and ours to thine. Now we didn't sing this, I don't think, because it's very old English and it's a little confusing. So some of the modern hymnals leave out these, these parts that are pretty deep and rich, but a little hard to understand. This is how we are restored, reborn, or as Jesus said, born again. How is it that we can be in Christ and he in us? At the same time, Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. This is that mystical union of the nature of the Father in the Son and the Son in us. Our fallen nature dies away and the new holy nature increasingly grows within us. It's as if our hearts become a new Bethlehem where Christ's likeness begins to grow and mature in us. We call it the process of sanctification. Our personalities mystically joined to Christ's nature. Adam's likeness, Lord efface. Efface means to erase or make it insignificant. What Charles is asking as he wrote this He's asking the Lord to make our old nature that we inherited from Adam to become insignificant. Is that what you're asking this morning? Apostle Paul called it being crucified with Christ. He said he died daily. Every day the apostle made his old nature insignificant. And that's our daily battle. The New Testament uses the word flesh for our old nature. Paul tells us the flesh is always at war with the spirit and our spirit always at war with the flesh. Every moment one or the other is in control and Charles is praying that the Lord makes that old flesh nature insignificant. And we say, amen. Do it in us, Lord Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. We need him to do it in us. Stamp thine image in its place. As the Lord Jesus erases that old nature, we're asking the Lord to replace it with his likeness. This includes all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These attributes need to become our new nature. When pushed or pressured, these, this is, needs to be what automatically comes forth from our innermost being. I like the fact that he used the word stamp. He draws that from scripture as well, for the word is used of Jesus, who is the image of God, the, the, the imprint of a stamp, the exact likeness. It comes from the use of a seal or a signet ring. Looking at Jesus, we see the clear impression of the Father. To stamp something requires pressure. God uses pressure to mark us with his likeness. Ease and comfort won't change us. We need to be stamped with the image of our Savior. Second Adam from above. Now Charles is referring to a passage in Romans 5 in which Paul says Adam was a type of the Savior to come. In Romans 5.18, he writes, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
He repeats the idea to the Corinthians. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam ushered in that fallen nature, while the second Adam, our Lord Jesus, ushered in a new nature, making that restoration possible. Reinstate us in thy love. Man once walked with God in the Garden of Eden. Imagine the love, the rich fellowship, and the wonder of those conversations. But when man disobeyed, communion was broken. And to be reinstated, we needed the expression of God's great love for us, the solution to our sin-sick souls. And as Jesus said in John chapter 3, that would be similar to that bronze pole with the bronze snake that the Israelites in the wilderness had to look to for healing from that snake venom. And we have the venom of sin in us from birth. And to be reinstated into the fellowship of God, we look to that cross where Jesus hung. The love of God sent Jesus to receive the justice we deserve. Let us thee, though lost, regain thee, the life, the inner man. Again, the old English is a bit hard to understand. But what Charles is saying could be worded like this. God, let our lost souls regain you, the life, into our inner man. God never left us. We left God. He has always pursued us to make us his own. And even though we are lost, children of wrath, and rebels against the goodness of God, by God's grace we ask to have that blessed fellowship with God restored. We want Christ who said he is the life. We want the spiritual inner man, not the fallen soul with its evil desires. That's to regain fellowship that we lost in the garden. Oh, to all thyself impart. We want all to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth. Evangelism and revival are the cry of the heart of every one who is yielded to the love of God. We want our loved ones and acquaintances to receive Jesus. We want the lost world to be redeemed. What a transformation of civilization would take place if the world would open itself to the life of Christ in them. But then that's heaven. Man has been given the freedom to reject the love of God, and God's not going to impart himself to those who do not want him. He's not going to violate our will or force himself on us. It would only make our rebellion even more deserving of wrath. God's not willing that any should perish, but he limits himself by letting us decide for or against his goodness. Formed in each believing Paul said he labored in prayer until Christ was formed in the Galatians' hearts. He's only formed in the believing heart. That does not mean simply an acknowledgement of his existence, but receiving him as Lord. John 1, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you hear the message heralded by God's messengers? 
in this season as we celebrate the birth of Jesus and all he means to us and all it reveals to us of God's love for us, will you be born again? Oh, to all thyself impart. Formed in each believing heart. May it be so. Amen. Amen. Joe, would you lead us in the closing song? And then I'll bring the benediction.